Hi, I'm Cheryl. I'm part of the staff here at Menlo Church, and it is good to be with you. Let me pray, and we'll dive in. Father, we just invite you now. We invite you to speak into our minds and our hearts through your word and by your spirit. We ask you, God, would you do something in us even during these next few minutes? Would our vision of you be greater? Would our desire for you increase? Would we know your love for us in deepening ways? And we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, last weekend, there were a whole bunch of us from Menlo Church, from all of our campuses who were down at Mount Hermon. It's a retreat center down in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And we were on a spiritual formation retreat. And it was so good. It was so fun to get to know so many of you who I've never met across meals and during free time and just hanging out. It was great to be together as a Menlo Church family, every campus. It was fun to worship together and to enter into the spiritual practices together, to experience prayer and silence and solitude and many others. And we did this spiritual formation retreat because this is one of the values of Menlo Church. It's a part of our DNA. We've been in this series where we're talking about being at a crossroads as a church. And as we consider going forward, what are the, what are the values that have marked us in our past that we wanna make sure go with us into our future? And one of those values is spiritual formation. Because spiritual formation is the process of who we are becoming. And we're all becoming. And we want to invite God into it. That's why we do life groups. And that's why for the past six weeks, we've been doing these labs that almost 500 of you have leaned into for your own spiritual formation. Dallas Willard, who was a professor of philosophy at USC, and Menlo is a big fan of Dallas Willard. If you've been around, you know that. He wrote extensively on spiritual formation. He said this. He said, we are all becoming who we will be forever. We are all becoming who we will be forever. His point is, we are eternal beings and our becoming and who we become matters. But there are all these pressures and voices that are coming at us, right? Trying to tell us who we should become. And so my question for myself and my question for you is, what voices are you listening to? What voices are telling you who you should become? Is it the voice of family expectation? 
Is it the voice of a culture that screams at us to be more or to be better, to be more secure, to be more powerful, to be more smarter, which that doesn't make sense, but more attractive, more successful? Is it the voice of culture and all the media and all the things that are coming at us telling us to be better parents, better spouses, better friends, better employees, better bosses? We can just open up our email and open up our web browser and there's so many things coming at us. Here's five ways to be better at this, seven ways to be better at that, right? And maybe the voice that you're listening to is the voice of social media that buys right in to our tendency towards jealousy and comparison and competition, and it just feeds that. What voice are you letting form you? What voices are telling you who you should become? What if the loudest voice was God's voice? What if the loudest voice was the God who created us? What if we weren't formed by the expectations of others or even our own expectations for ourselves or our own fears or longings or insecurities, but we were formed, spiritually formed by God himself? That's what I want to talk about. Because to be Christian, to be those who follow Jesus, is not to become some kind of cookie-cutter, robot, religious person. And I think sometimes that's what we think, that if I'm going to become a Christian, if I'm going to fall, fall into that Jesus group, then I'm going to become this cookie-cutter, same, robot, religious, I'm going to have to do this and not do that. But here's the truth of what it means to be Christian. To be Christian is to be and becoming our truest self. Spiritual formation is the process of becoming your truest self. C.S. Lewis says this, he says it this way, he says, the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Let me say that again. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. He says, God invented, as an author invents characters in a novel, all the different people that you and I were intended to be. In that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in him. It is no good trying to be myself without God. It is no good trying to be myself without God. And that is the invitation of spiritual formation, to become our truest selves with God. It's God who made us. It's God who is the author of who we are. 
To be human is to reflect God, to be stamped with his image, which tells us something of our value, right? We know in our Western world, we know the value of something often by the image, the logo that is stamped on it. How much more to have the value of being stamped with the image of God. We know this is true of us because in Genesis chapter one, in the very beginning, in the account of the creation, it says this. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We don't have time to unpack all that it means to be made in the image of God, but I wish we did because there's so much there. But this understanding of ourselves as image bearers is central to who we are and it's central to who we are becoming. To be made in the image of God is to share in his dignity his worth, his value, his purposes, his mission. God has chosen, let this sink in to you. God has chosen to stamp humanity with his image. And that has so many implications for what we value. And one of the implications is this, that all humanity Every human is stamped with the image of God and God's reflection, his image is reflected in the diversity of humanity. That's why as a church, we care about the issues of race. We celebrate diversity. We seek to be anti-racist because we know that God has put his mark, his image on all of humanity. And if we want to fully reflect him, and we see this in the book of Revelation, that the full reflection of God in the new heaven and the new earth will include every tribe, every language, every tongue, every ethnicity, these things will not be wiped out and we won't suddenly become angels or robots or all looking the same, all using the same language. No, the reflection of God, his image is reflected in our diversity and we celebrate that and we honor all people. We honor women, we honor men every ethnicity again, every culture, every language, every personality type, all the Myers-Briggsness, right? All the ENFJs and the INTPs and the introverts and the extroverts and the thinkers and the feelers. And you, together, we reflect the image of God. 
I had a seminary professor who said one time in class, and I'll never forget it because he said it with great intensity. He said of this bearing the image of God, he said, our significance lies in reflecting God. Now, certainly, this image has been marred. We know that in Genesis 1, we are, see that we're created in the image of God. And then in Genesis 3, we see sin, the propensity of humankind to seek to find their image and their significance apart from God. We see sin that mars this image. The image has been marred, but it hasn't been erased. And this is the good news of what Jesus has accomplished for us. This is the good news of why Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was resurrected. Because in this, Jesus accomplished renewing and redeeming and restoring that image in us. There's this verse in Galatians where Paul speaks to the image of God being formed in us. And he's writing to this church in Galatia that has heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, but they've kind of started going sideways. They're kind of creating their own gospel. And Paul wants to bring them back to the gospel that they first heard and that he had preached. And he's telling them who they now are, that they are children of God, that they are sons of God. And sometimes we trip over that language as women. You'll, you might think, well, um, what, why doesn't he say daughters of God? But actually the word that's used in Galatians is he's, saying to men and women, in Christ, you have all the privileges of a firstborn son. Because in that culture, at that time, the firstborn son got everything. And Paul's saying, that's who you are. That's what's been done to you. You have been made a son of God. And he wants them to hear this. And then he kind of goes off, as Paul has a tendency to do sometimes in his writings, where he just kind of busts into prayer or he just makes a statement. And in Galatians 4.19, he makes this statement. He just says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is what he wants for this church. Not that they grow big, but that they would have Christ formed in them. And Christ formed in us is the image of God. Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. Jesus, 100% human, 100% God, he shows us how to be human. And to be human is to reflect God. Christ formed in us is the image of God. John chapter one says this, says no one has seen God, but the one and only son, Jesus, 
who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. He has made God known. That's what we're created for. That's what we do. Colossians 1.15 says the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. One translation says Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And that's what God did when he put his image on us, that we humans would be the reflection of him. He could have put his image on a big statue. He could have put his image all over the place. He could have said, this is who I am. But instead he said, no, no, no. I want my creation. I want men and women to be the reflection of me. Spiritual formation begins with God. It begins with his intention for who we are and who we are becoming. It begins with us joining him in this process, right? And that's where the spiritual practices come in. When we talk about prayer or scripture reading or Bible study or community or serving. At Menlo, we did a series called The Way a number of years ago in which we talked about the different spiritual practices that help us on the way of Jesus, to live in the way of Jesus. And on the spiritual formation retreat this past weekend, Keith Riley, Riley, who's one of our pastors, he said something that was super helpful for me about the spiritual practices. He said, the goal of the practices is, to not become, is not to become great at the practices. The goal of the practices isn't to become great at the practices which can be the temptation when we talk about spiritual formation. He said, the goal of the practices is not to become great at the practices. They are a means to receiving the grace of God. The spiritual practices are a means to receiving the grace of God. And it is the grace of God that transforms us. It is not by works, but it is by grace that we have been saved. And our salvation is more than just a get out of hell free card. Our salvation is more when it says, by grace you have been saved, you have been saved, and your salvation is being worked out in you, and you are becoming more and more of your true self. But this grace, this grace, as Dallas liked to say, is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Dallas also said that spiritual formation is now not about trying harder, right? We're not earning salvation. We're not earning what is called sanctification, the working out of that salvation, the becoming more and more like Jesus. We're not trying harder. But Dallas said, we do train. We go into training. We train for our desired outcomes, right? If we want Christ formed in us, and I believe that we do, I do. We want to become our truest selves. 
So we enter into training, and that's where the spiritual practices come into play. And so I want to suggest to you a practice that we could do as a church this week. But before you enter into the practice, I want to encourage you, maybe find some training partners, right? It might be your life group. It might be some friends. It might be a group of friends, because I know that when I'm training for something, it is always better to do it with others. I hate exercise. I know people love it. There's people I just love. They just love going to the gym. I I never, never wake up and go, God, I hope I get to work out today, right? But I have desired outcomes. I want to be healthy. I want to be in shape. There was a season when I lived in Pasadena that I wanted to do some half marathons with some friends. I never want to do it again, but I did do them. And there was a group that we were going to do these beach half marathons. And my problem was that I literally couldn't run more than about 100 yards and without thinking that my lungs were going to fall out of my body and I was going to die. But what helped was there was a group that started to meet at the Rose Bowl every weekday morning at 7 a.m., and we trained together. And one of those friends, she was like my pace car because there were people who were running like seven minute miles and all that kind of stuff. And I'll never forget this friend who she could run faster, but she ran with me to get me so I could run a mile. And then a few weeks later, I could run two miles. And pretty soon I could run a half marathon. And so it is that we want to enter into the spiritual practices to train for our desired outcome, that Christ might be formed in us. The practice that I want to encourage you towards this week is practicing the presence of God. To seek to be intentionally aware of God's presence throughout the day. And there's a lot of ways that we can go at this, but here's my suggestion. What I'm going to call three pauses. Set an alarm on your watch or your phone or whatever, and each day, pause three times to intentionally engage with the presence of God. So this is how I might do it. You could do your pauses at different times, but I would suggest pause one is in the morning. For me, that would be my longest pause. For you, it might be your shortest pause. But if it's your longest pause, it'd be maybe 15, 30 minutes where you open the scripture, you read a psalm, you acknowledge and you say to God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're present with me. And thank you that you'll be present with me throughout my day. Would you make me aware today of your presence as I go to the coffee shop, as I go to work, as I drive, as I run errands, as I parent. I want to be aware of your presence, God. So pause one is in the morning. Pause two might be at noon or sometime near that time, which would be maybe a shorter pause. But again, for some, it might be longer. For me, that would be a five-minute pause to maybe recite the Lord's Prayer or to again read a psalm or to just sit and to just sit and say, God, you're with me. God, you're here. God, you see me. 
pause one in the morning, pause two around noon, and then pause three would be at the end of the day. And in this pause, again, it would be shorter, maybe five to 10 minutes, but it's an opportunity to now reflect back on the day and even be aware of where was God in that situation? Where was God in that conversation? Where was God with me today? And thank him for that. Let's practice together being aware of the presence of God as we seek to have Christ formed in us. And I want you to be encouraged. Christ is being formed in you. I love this that, you know, when Paul in Galatians 4 kind of proclaims this, gosh, I'm in the pains of childbirth, that Christ would be formed in you. He doesn't just leave it there. In chapter 5 of Galatians, he shares with them what it could look like for Christ to be formed in them. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll paraphrase a little bit because this is what Paul says, for the image of Christ to be formed in us, it will look like, he says, walking by the Spirit. That's an invitation that the image of walking is a picture of being in relationship with God, the Spirit. He says, it will look like being led by the Spirit. That's a picture of dependence, letting God lead us, surrendering to his leadership. And Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, it's not going to look like this. And sometimes that's helpful to know what it doesn't look like, right? He says, it's not going to look like sexual immorality. It's not going to look like impurity, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. But it will look like. This is what Christ formed in us will look like. He uses a metaphor of fruit. It will look like the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control because that is Jesus. Jesus formed in you. Jesus who is love. Jesus, who is joy, who is peace, who is patience, who is kindness, who is goodness, who is faithfulness, who is gentleness, who is self-control. This is spiritual formation, becoming our truest self, image bearers of our God. Lord, we pray that you would do this work in us, that we would live into who you created us to be, that would, we would be and we would be becoming more and more reflections of you into our life, into our relationships, into our work. And we pray it in your powerful name, the name of Jesus, amen.